Um, if you would please again turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament minor prophet of Jonah. We're going to read the entirety of the first chapter. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word this evening? <clears throat> so hear the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone out into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made a vow. Now the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Pray for me, if you will, and then for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this evening. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our God and Heavenly Father, uh, it is encouraging as we read this Old Testament minor prophet. For we find ourselves so often in his shoes of being displeased with your providence and even arguing against your will. With you there is great grace and great mercy. And as Jonah, at the end of his time, was a changed man, as the lessons you taught him, so may we be changed this evening as we consider your word and your great power and your great mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever thought that there was no hope left in your life, whatever situation you may have been in? Perhaps it was finances, that you had gotten yourself into a financial strait, 
and you didn't see any way to get out of it, and you were concerned and worried about what to do. Or your health, your health begins to diminish, and it seems like there's nothing you can do to change that, and you began to get weaker and weaker. Or the job situation, perhaps your job is uh, not what it was supposed to be, or you have a co-worker that is really difficult to work with, or your hours have been cut, or you've lost your job because of the things going on in our country at this time, and you simply do not know what to do. Or maybe your marriage. Uh, the marriage is having difficulty. And it seems like no matter what you say or what you do or what the wife says or what the wife does, things just do not get any better, and it seems there is no hope for improvement. Well, one thing that we learned this evening as we look at this account of Jonah, there is always hope with God. There is never a hopeless situation with God in your corner, with God at your side, with God as your help. You were never in a hopeless situation. Jonah was as good as dead. He stood on the deck of the ship in a raging storm in order to save the lives of the man who was tossed into the agitated sea. Now, understand this. This is a type of sacrifice. Jonah did not jump in voluntarily. He was thrown in. Had he jumped in voluntarily, it would be a type of suicide. It wasn't. It was a sacrifice of Jonah being thrown into the water, and because of that being thrown into the water, again, tossed overboard, that the, war, that the, um, that the storm calmed down. This evening, we want to think about and meditate on the way God took a man from the clutches of death, gave him life and worked in such a way that he got the man to go where he wanted him to go and to do what he wanted him to do. And as you look through this, one thing that you see that's most spectacular is God's sovereignty. It's all throughout the book of Jonah. God's sovereignty is seen here in this case when he is thrown into the sea. What happens to see this this evening, that God still works in mighty ways and sovereignty to save his people according to his providence. He still rescues us. He still helps us. He still comes to us. And, you know, and if you think through your life, you can probably think of some occasion when you thought, I just cannot deal with this. I simply can't deal with this. And God brings you into it, and you do deal with it by his grace. He's with you. As Paul, in, I love the end of Timothy, no one stood with me, but the Lord stood with me. And there it is, God being involved in the life of this man, Jonah. The first thing that we would see... Um, uh, this evening is that uh, God's uh, sovereign grace helps, comes to help when often most unexpectedly, often most unexpectedly, God comes to help us. Jonah was a doomed man. He was like a man that had been sentenced to die in the gas chamber, and this man sitting in the seat, and the cyanide tablets are being dropped into the acid, and very soon the gas is going to be released, or here in Texas, the man strapped to a gurney have the needle put into his arm, he's as good as dead. Uh, there's no reversing it. Well, that's what it looked like for Jonah. Uh, he was caught in a, his uh, lies and schemes. He was thrown overboard, and now uh, there is no rescuing him. It is very, very likely that the sailors, the, the sailors considered him a man doomed to die. You throw somebody into a raging sea, you don't expect them to get out of it. You don't expect to live. They had no earthly idea, no thought at all that a fish was going to swallow Jonah. So they were sure, as they confessed to the Lord, do not hold them accountable for this man's death. And Jonah's hour had come. So there the mariners stand on the deck of the ship. 
and they're thinking that they have taken the life of a man by throwing him overboard. It's likely Jonah thought he was going to die. We have nothing in the text to indicate to us that Jonah was sure God was going to save him somehow and in some way. That's not in the text at all. All it says, all it tells us is that Jonah said, throw me overboard and the storm, the storm will stop. What happens after that? He didn't know. But I do think at this point he is trusting God. Uh, I don't think he knows and is aware that uh, God is going to save his life, but he is aware that God is sovereign and he is aware that God is good and he is aware that God is with him. He's aware of all of these things as he is tossed into the sea. And so I think we can say here that Jonah is trusting the Lord and God has come back into focus and the God that Jonah knows and has served for so many years is the God that's in his mind at this point in his life. You know, if you're being thrown over to, into a raging sea, your thoughts are going to go heavenward. Your thoughts are going to go toward the Lord. And I know that's where Jonah's thoughts were as well as he was tossed overboard into the sea. And God steps in. God shows his sovereignty over all circumstances as he preserves, as he preserves the life of Jonah. We read in the scriptures, the Lord had prepared a great fish. How God prepared this fish, we don't know. What kind of fish it was, we don't know. Most of you probably remember from Sunday school lessons, you were taught it was a whale that swallowed Jonah. And that's not a correct translation. The translation is a fish. Uh, if you've ever seen the photograph of those giant jaws where those guys sitting in it in, in the chairs, like two decks, two levels, it's huge. I think that's the fish that swallowed Jonah. I really do. It is so big. Uh, if you've ever seen it, if you haven't seen that picture, look it up on the Internet. This thing is huge. It's the biggest jaws I have ever seen, uh, preserved in a, in a museum. I've never seen a fish that big. So perhaps that was the one that swallowed Jonah, because it was one that God, from his birth, had purposed that fish to be there at the right time, at the right place, and the right kind of fish to swallow Jonah, in order that he may preserve his life. Uh, this one-of-a-kind fish, again, is birthed, it is grown, it is protected, according to God's great providence and wisdom. This is not a chance event. God's sovereignty is an exact and amazing thing as well. This is one of the accounts in the book that causes people to stumble when they say this is an impossibility. And they give all the medical reasons, all the scientific reasons why it's impossible for a fish to swallow a man. If a fish swallows a man, the ashes in the stomach are going to digest him. I can't live. Uh, so they have these reasons, and they come here to this, and they come up with ideas that Jonah survived an ordeal and stayed at the inn, an inn, uh, an inn called Fish, a hotel called Fish, if you will. And he was thrown out of it. So that's, that's what really happened, they say. Because everybody knows uh, that this simply cannot possibly be true. Well, there is no reason to take it as anything other than what it is if we believe the Bible. It is an historical account of what took place in the life of Jonah. And we have to remember, it is one of the many miracles in the Bible. The Bible is a book of miracles. From beginning to end, it is a book of miracles. And this is just another miracle that takes place. You remember, uh, Packer in his book, Knowing God, says the real problem that people have with the Bible is not the account, the accounts of creation. 
It's not the miracles that take place that are described for us in the Bible. The main problem that people have with the Bible is the incarnation. He said, because if you believe that God took flesh upon himself, that Jesus Christ was truly God in the flesh, then everything else falls right into place. And so we have two choices. Either we uh, join with the modern dictum and refuse to believe that this is a miraculous event that took place in the Bible, or we accept the eyewitness of Jonah and believe what Jonah tells us, that this is exactly what took place. If I read this to you, how long will men think of God as if he were a man? The creator as if he were a creature, as though creation were but one intricate piece of machinery, which is to go on with its regular changes until it shall be worn out. And God was shut up as some sort of mainspring within it. He might be allowed to be a primal force to set it in motion, but must, must not be allowed to vary what he has once made. Acute physical philosophy, which by its omnipotent word, would undo the acts of God, heartless, senseless, sightless world, which exists in God, is upheld by God, whose every breath is an affluence of God's love, and which yet sees him not, thanks him not, thinks it a great thing to hold its own frail existence to some imagined law, than to be an object of a tender, passionate care of an infinite God who is love, poor, hoodwinked souls, which would exhaust for themselves the light of the world, in order that they may not eclipse their own theory. This is an expression of their unbelief. They'll hold on to it and would rather hold on to that than acknowledge and admit there is a God who has created all things and is not bound by it, but he rules it. He rules over it. And he does as he pleases. So this account is not fanciful. It is biblical. God spared Jonah's life, and he did it in a way that he saw fit to do it. I mean, you think about it. There's a possibility, maybe a ship to be there, a raft. No. The storm would have destroyed other ships as it was destroying this one. The most logical thing in order for God to do to save Jonah's life after he's thrown into the water is to send a fish. And that is exactly what he does. And the Lord often reaches out and touches people who seem beyond the reach of grace. These men were convinced Jonah was without hope. These men were convinced Jonah was going to die. But God was gracious. He saves people today who are most unworthy of his grace. And he comes to them sometimes in the most unexpected time. The blasphemer, the drug addict, the adulterer. The self-made, self-sufficient individual who comes to find out finally, and one of the best things someone who is like that can find out is they're not self-sufficient. They're not autonomous. They live their life day in and day out under the hand of a gracious God who sustains them and who gives them life. So here that great God demonstrated his power, and he was determined to save Jonah, and he did in the most marvelous and wonderful way. The second thing this evening is that... Uh, God's sovereign grace to help comes, though it is never, ever merited. Jonah was a man under the sentence of death. When Jonah first got on the ship to try to run away from the Lord, it was stupid. It was dumb of him to do that. He knew better. And yet sometimes we are so blinded by our sin and our sinful desires, we lose sight of what God is really like. Jonah was foolish to do this. 
You can't run away from the presence of God. And Jonah knew that. But he, his hatred for those people he was going to, to preach to them was so great, he didn't care. It blinded his understanding of what God was really like. He was so filled with hatred for them. He wanted to see God destroy them. And so he was going to see two of them. As far as he was concerned, he was going to do his part. They would be destroyed. He's not thinking clearly. Hatred blinds our thinking. It really does. Hatred blinds us in our reasoning. So Jonah, being so filled with hatred, was a man who acted very foolishly. You cannot outmaneuver God. Jonah did not deserve God's help. Jonah had deliberately rebelled against God. The problem was his own doing. How often in our lives the difficulties we have are our own fault. Our own fault. If we're doing something we shouldn't have done, for failing to do something we should have done, or for saying something we shouldn't have said, or for failing to have said something we should have said, so often the difficulties we have in our own life, so often, not always, are a result of something that we did and it is of our own doing. Jonah could not give one reason to God why he should save him. Not one. He couldn't demonstrate. He couldn't argue. He could plead for mercy is the only thing he could do. It's like a man who is on death row up in Huntsville, and he's writing to President Abbott, trying to explain to him why he should be, have a reprieve from his execution when he's a serial killer and he's killed 25 people. He shouldn't have a reprieve from, from something that... Uh, not even if Camille killed one person, he shouldn't have a reprieve. So there'd be nothing he could say. So he could not say to God, uh, I have always been faithful to you, Lord. No, he couldn't say that. Uh, I have done nothing wrong in this case, Lord. No, he couldn't. He could not say that. Um, he had no excuse. He had no no chips to play, so to speak. Uh, Jonah say, God saves Jonah, and it is in spite of Jonah that he saves him. The reason does not rest on Jonah for God's salvation. The reason for Jonah's being saved does not rest upon Nineveh. It is all due, all owing to God's grace. That's why Jonah was spared. I guarantee it. given a choice, anybody would rather be swallowed for a fish for a little bit of while rather than drown in the ocean. And that's what happened to Jonah. I would love to know what it was like when he was in there. I would love to know what he was thinking when he was. He prays when he's in there. We know that that prayer is recorded for us. But three days and three nights, he had to be there. Had to be an air pocket. He didn't grow gills. There had to be an air pocket in there. You know, and what he was thinking is just it's it's just uh, it's fascinating to me how God works. To preserve his people throughout the history of the church. It was all of God's grace that Jonah's life was spared. God prepared the fish, prepared it in his sovereignty, in his purposes. It was where it was supposed to be at the right time. And it was such a fish that a man could live inside of it for three days and three nights. Everyone who is saved and reached by God's grace is a person who does not deserve it, but God saves them in spite of what they deserve. And here, of course, talking about the salvation we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if you would let me read to you from the book of Titus, chapter 3, 4 through 7. Uh, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. See, here's one of those places where God and Savior are together, where Christ is called God. God our Savior appeared. 
He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the promise of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want to insist of these things, so those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Those things are excellent and profitable for people. So here it is, according to grace. And so the ultimate salvation, then, when we talk about being saved, is, of course, the salvation that is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. God comes to us. I can't tell you how many times God has spared us. We don't know how many times he has spared us. I can mention and think of several things I've done that was stupid, most of them driving, and should have had a wreck, but didn't. I'll tell you one of them. I'm in Scotland. I'm driving a Jaguar. That car had a lot of get up and go. I think I'm on a four lane. I'm not. And I passed this truck, a big semi. And I fly by this truck and I get back over in just a few seconds after that a car passes in the lane. I thought it was on what they call a dual carriageway. They don't even know how to name things over there. That's one reason it was confusing to me. But there's an example. I had Melinda, myself. Uh, yeah, those people. Uh, yeah. Was that it? And their mother, maybe. Somebody. Some of there were five of us in this car. We'd have been killed. Uh, had the timing been just off a few seconds, we would have been killed. What do you, do you owe that to chance? It's a chance event. No. God was there. And God did that. Just as God spared Jonah from drowning in the sea by sending that fish to swallow him. So God's sovereign purposes of coming to help rescue us ultimately is through the salvation we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. John Long said to me, and I know you've heard me say it before, you are indestructible until the Lord is ready for us. You are not going to die before the days ordained for you come to an end. So Jonah is saved here, but the ultimate, again, salvation of our lives is simply the fish is a picture of redemption that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 12, 39 through 40. Yeah, I'm sure you all know what this says. Matthew 12, 39 through 40. But he answered and said, some of the scribes and Pharisees asked him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered, and answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men in Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented of, repented of the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. See, you read that and you recognize the Lord Jesus believed in historical Jonah. And he believed that the fish swallowed him. And it is a picture of the redemption that Christ is going to accomplish on behalf of his people. That is a picture. So our Lord Jesus Christ suffered the storms of God's wrath, God's wrath on the cross of Calvary. He was held captive by the power of death for a time, but death could not hold him. Just as the fish could not Hold Jonah. 
when God determined he was going to break free from it, he did. It vomited him up on the shore. He had a sour stomach from eating the prophet. So he vomited him up on the shore. And Jonah emerged on dry land. All a picture. See the, the marvel of God's working in redemption? This happened centuries before Christ was born. Yet here in the life of this unassuming prophet is a picture of redemption that was certainly going to come to pass when the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth. So whatever we are, it is that we are facing, the greatest blessing that we have is not being cured of a disease, not being spared uh, in a car crash. Uh, it is salvation. It is redemption that we have in Jesus. You know, we, we long to see these things of getting over sicknesses and to being spared troubles in this life. But the greatest blessing is ours in Jesus Christ. The salvation we have in him. And always recognize this. There is no situation in your life that is beyond the help of God. And unlike the reluctant prophet, when we're obedient and we have our fast fixed faith upon the Lord Jesus, and God comes to us and he, we have favor in his eyes. He loves us. And he loves to help us. And there are times when that's all we can do is trust and pray. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this little book. We thank you for this event that took place. And pray that we would see the greatness of your majesty, your power, your sovereignty, your wisdom. And here painting a picture in the Old Testament of the reality that was going to come of the one who was really going to be in the earth for three days and three nights. Not simply captured, but held by death. Who would break the bonds of death and burst forth victoriously over sin and death. We thank you for our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.